The truth is that the war in Gaza has enormous economic incentives behind it for the US, for the EU, and for Israel. You see, Israel and the United States have been planning for decades to build what is called the Ben Gurion Canal. This is a rival to the infamous Suez Canal in Egypt. This Ben Gurion Canal will begin at the port city of Eliat and finish right next to, if not directly through, Gaza. The Americans hatched this secret plan with the Israelis in 1963 to detonate over 500 nuclear bombs in the Negev desert with the aim of building this Ben Gurion Canal. You know, this goes without saying, the Suez Canal is one of the most important quintessential geostrategic assets on the planet. It connects the Mediterranean Sea to the Red Sea. It is so important to global trade that in 1956, Israel, Britain and France literally attacked Egypt because it dared to nationalize the Suez Canal, you know, its own territory. Let that give you an idea how important this is economically. It's situated at the intersection of three continents and two bodies of water. It cuts shipping times and shipping costs by so much that today, 12% of global trade, 30% of global container traffic pass through the Suez Canal. This is why Israel are absolutely obliterating Gaza. They want no more Palestinians and no more resistance. Egyptian President Sisi was told in the last weeks that if he accepts Israel's plan to take Palestinians from Gaza and put them in the Sinai Desert, that Israel will pay for this and the United States will wipe Egypt's national debt. Look at that. <laughs> And the third aspect about the River Nile. You see, Ethiopia, which is Egypt's neighbor, built something in 2011 called the Renaissance Dam, which cut water to both Sudan and Egypt. And this is, you know, it's caused a huge argument ever since. Now, Ethiopia has a significant Jewish population. The United States, and specifically Israel, could theoretically lean on Ethiopia, as they have done before, and pressure it not to fill up its reservoirs, which is very good for Egypt, and shall we say would uh, incentivize Egypt to take in people from Gaza. You see, you need to understand this Ben Gurion Canal is the last piece of the puzzle. It will cement the Americans and Israelis control over the world's most important shipping lane, giving them total control over maritime trade. So follow me down the map, the Red Sea, which would feed into the Ben Gurion Canal. It already has a huge presence of American and Israeli troops. Did you know, for example, that Israel's largest military base is located in the Red Sea on Dahalak Island in Eritrea. This base was hit by Yemen in the last few days in support of Gaza because Yemen is an integral part of the resistance axis. Yemen is located right next to Eritrea in a crucial area. I mean, we're talking about the Gulf of Aden. We're talking about the Bab and Mendeb Strait. Thousands, tens of thousands of ships pass this area every year, including a large percentage of the world's petroleum vessels. The US have been trying for decades to control this important shipping lane by putting troops right opposite Yemen in Djibouti and Somalia in what is called the Horn of Africa. The Americans have tried to control this area by attacking Yemen from the rear, using Saudi Arabia, using other Gulf countries, doing their own drone strikes. This war lasted for over six years. It devastated Yemen and the media barely covered it. Another one of Yemen's important geostrategic assets is the beautiful island of Socatra, which is located, I mean, talk about geostrategic. It's located between the Horn of Africa, the Gulf of Aden, the Arabian Sea, and the Indian Ocean. See, the UAE, after normalizing ties with Israel, they helped Israel to put spy bases and establish a military presence on Socatra Island. The importance of this Bab el-Mendeb uh, Strait is that both Iran and China 
need to use this shipping lane for Iran to export fuel and for China as the world's largest economy and largest trading partner of most countries. I mean, there is de facto already an entire Cold War taking place right up the Gulf Coast in the Strait of Hormuz, the tanker war. You see, what happens is that the US and Israel, they try to sink Iranian fuel ships and then Iran responds in kind. You see, Britain also tried playing a stupid game as well in the Strait of Gibraltar. They hijacked an Iranian ship and only when Iran did the same to a British ship did they finally, you know, get the message and let the Iranian ship go. The US have gone so far as to even steal Iranian fuel tankers and sell off the cargo. You know, a practice that is commonly referred to as piracy. The US and Israel can always attack Iranian and Chinese ships later on in the Bab el-Mendeb Strait up into the Red Sea and of course by replacing the Suez Canal with the Ben-Gurion Canal. This final piece of the puzzle will allow the US and Israel to dominate world maritime trade. They can use this not only to the benefit of their own economies but to damage and to attack other countries' economies like China, like Iran, Egypt, Syria, Lebanon. I mean this is literally highway robbery on the high seas and the Ben-Gurion Canal is the key to all of this. You know, Egypt could stop this war in Gaza right now by shutting down the Suez Canal. It is bewildering that they don't do this. If not for Gaza's sake, do it for your own sake. Egypt's economy is going to be leveled if this Ben-Gurion Canal is built. It will completely undermine the Suez Canal. Where is Saudi Arabia? Why don't they threaten to cut oil production for one week, for one bloody day, just to stop this war? Or is there something in it for them were Gaza to be leveled and replaced with this canal? Where are the Arabs? Where are the Muslims? Look at the European Union. They have nothing in common with each other except geography. They have over 24 languages. Whereas the Arab world, from Morocco to Oman, have a common tongue, common geography, common religion, common history, and common culture. I mean, this automatically makes them a global superpower, not to mention the natural resources, the geographical landmass, and the population, which are essential factors and criteria of hard power. It's not only the size of the Arab world, but look at the straits. All the vital straits are located in Arab countries. The Strait of Gibraltar, which is Jabal Tariq, the Suez Canal, the Bab el-Mendeb Strait, and the Strait of Hormuz between Iran and Oman. European colonial powers understood this a long time ago, how powerful Arab countries could be, and they planted Israel right smack dab in the middle to sow chaos and try to bring over, to win over these Arab kingdoms, bring them over to their side and make them normalize ties with Israel. All these borders in the Middle East did not exist until 1916, until the same European powers that back Israel today drew them. This is the Middle East before, and this is the Middle East after Sykes-Picot, after the French and the British ruined it. This divide and conquer strategy is all about carving up the Arab world, creating instability and controlling the resources and the straits. These powers, they always play this sectarian card. You know, they love to pit Sunni against Shia. They did this in Iraq, they did it in Lebanon, and now they try to do it between Arabs and, and try to pit them against Iran. In Palestine, they tell you, oh, it's about Jews against Muslims. No, it absolutely bloody isn't. The West are afraid of unity between Arabs themselves and between Arabs and Muslim countries. This war has nothing to do with Hamas. That's not what it's about. You know why people are wondering, how is this mass slaughter of civilians happening? Why the ardent support for Israel from the West? Europe stands with Israel. As we stand steadfast with Israel. The United States stands with Israel.
Why are they allowing this to happen in broad daylight? They won't even call for a ceasefire. What's controversial about that? The answer is because this is their project too. This is also a European and American imperialist project and they are complicit. Welcome to What's Left, a weekly, a weekly polit political discussion challenge in the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barque with co-host, uh, teacher and socialist Andy Lipson and socialist Kenny Cepeda. We're online at whatsleftpodcast.com. You can find our link to that site in the episode notes. You can also find our personal social media handles as for me on Instagram at Don Eduardo Barca. And uh, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications where we found this episode uh, and uh, make sure to hit those uh, ratings for us so we can, you know, not algorithm the way. All right. So um, today's topic, we'll have a discussion. Andy, why don't you introduce today's topic since you uh, had asked me to do something yes. else. The, the, we're going to talk, we're going to come back to Israel and Palestine, Gaza, what's been going on. We talked about it a few episodes ago. Uh, but the first thing is, is to say, welcome back, Eduardo. Yeah, and Thank you. if there's any update you can give us all on where you're at, what's up, what's up with you? Uh, well, we we can we we can say you're not in the United States. I know that, um, and uh, just anything you can let us know it would be good. Well, yeah. So quick, just quickly, right? I don't want to take up too much of my time. I think I've already covered enough about Colombia. People can find those episodes in the episode notes. We'll have links. Uh, we've also discussed different angles on immigration. I think those topics are continuously um, will be just ongoing here in South America, as well as just the situation with what's happening in the economy. Uh, what I just want to update, folks, is that there has been a intensive uh uh intensive crackdown that's the word a crackdown on immigrants so uh biden has promised now to uh immigrate uh, to to deport more people so there are still a lot of venezuelans that are and and people from all over the latin america going up north but they are being deported now and 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 venezuela has opened up to receive those deportees so there's more deportees now and they're oh, also tired the it's Colombia has opened up to the further Venezuela or Venezuela has opened. Oh, Venezuela has Venezuela because before Venezuela wasn't accepting their deportees, so oh, okay. the, so it was very hard for Venezuelans to be deported back to their country. So now there's charter planes going directly from the U.S. to Venezuela. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I get And it. and then now they're tightening restrictions in uh, in in Central America. So, for example, if I'm, you know, me being Mexican and help, helping my Venezuelan friends, let's say they're, they're stuck in Panama, I can't send money uh, to Panama using Western Union or any other means unless I'm Panamanian because they're catching on that people are sending money, whether you are sending money to your friends or your family, to people who are going up Central America. So they're tightening those restrictions. And, uh, and then Mexico's just open up a, a, a new uh, like um, uh, permission to stay in Mexico uh, for Venezuelans because what's been happening is 
too many are going up north so to, to the USA, so they've just made negotiations with the USA so that they can sustain Mexico and another deterrent. Um, so those are just some of the things that I can just update people on. Um, oh, one more thing, and, and for folks that are doing uh, the humanitarian uh, visa parole, uh, which is the form I-134A, uh, it's now being uh, dealt with in the courts. So it's going to go up to Supreme Court. And right now it doesn't seem like it looks good for people who are trying, who are waiting. For example, I'm here, Luis, who's with me, he's waiting for his uh, humanitarian parole. And most people who haven't done that yet are in the lurch. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what's happening, whether it's going to be, uh, whether the parole will continue or as is, or will whether it will halt all sort of uh, process for people to go up uh, to, to to be received in the USA. So there's a lot going on around that. Uh, and as far as for me, I I'm 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 happy coming here to. I'm like I, I love coming here to Colombia because I'm with my friends. I'm with my community. Uh, I mentioned a bit about them last time, uh, but it's challenging always being in a situation where people cannot do as much as I would like to do because of their economic situation. So that makes it challenging. And uh, yeah, that's, that's as far as it, I, I think I have those updates. Uh, I'll be here until um, the end of this month. So I've been here in October and now November. I was here in July and August. And we'll see if I'll be let's see where where how long i how much longer i will be here uh i'm also trying to do one more thing which is going to venezuela and it's hard as a u.s american a mexican u.s american because my mexican passport is expired so i didn't do it on time to have it with me and now i'm trying to use my american u.s american passport but what happens is if i enter venezuela i'm most likely considered a terrorist in venezuela <laughs> So I have some doubts whether I'll be entering Venezuela unless I the, I get approved by the Venezuelan embassy, which is another challenge. Uh, so we'll see how these things go. It's so interesting. I'm the same person. I said this before. I'm the same person, but with two different nationalities. And with a Mexican nationality, I can enter easily, but my passport is expired. And with a U.S. American, I can enter but there's so many requirements, and if I don't fulfill those requirements, I'm considered a, a terrorist. But I'm still the same person. It's like I. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. The what was her uh, Amanda Lucas? Yeah, Anna Lucas Miller. Anna Lucas Miller. Lucas. 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 Yeah. So when we talked with Anna Lucas Miller, she spoke of like the U.S. passport as such a thing that could get you anywhere. But in this particular case, it's it's actually more restrictive on you. Yeah, yeah. And actually, there is changes coming to that though, because the European Union is going to require us to apply for permission to enter, uh, starting in twenty twenty four, I believe. Um, and so that, again, the world is changing, and this free range that Americans think we have, at least for the for the masses, there will be more difficulties in moving around the world. Um, and I think it might connect to some of the things we talk about today. Yeah. And, and it was interesting for you to note that again, uh, the ability to transfer money 
is increasingly becoming put under control and put yeah. under scrutiny. And companies that should, I feel like, have no say in what you choose to do with your money, if you want to send it to whoever, they're, they're creating various restrictions and, and with government regulations as well, and, and the, so in, in concert with the state. So it's just there are various ways things are getting locked, mm-hmm. locked down. Yeah, that's the unfortunate reality for people. So you're just trying to deter, 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 and make it more, I don't know. Well, it's just straight up control. We'll tell you what you do with your money. Whether or not you, quote, earned the money or it's it's your money, we'll decide whether you have the right to to direct it to whoever you choose. You know, so, you know, and it's, it's, it was similar around the war on terror. They, they, Part started making restrictions and sanctioning people who were sending it to what are terror groups, and now, now they're just broadening the umbrella of of the types of things you are not allowed to do with your money. The other thing is, I'm in this neighborhood here in Cartagena, in Colombia, and I just love this neighborhood where I'm at. It's it's very uh, urban. It's a very, uh, like a ghetto. And uh, it's, I've been making friends here. <laughs> so I'm giving, so just giving the, my world over to the audience and to you all. But it's so interesting. Cartagena is known for a very touristy spot, but it's also known for a very, like, in uh, the disparities that exist here. And here, a taxi driver will not take you into this neighborhood. We have to walk. We're left off on some street, and then we have to walk some some blocks up towards these areas. And literally, we are where I'm here, um, accompanied by Luis, who is with me, and he's from Venezuela. And we have we're we're literally close to El Castillo de San Felipe, which is a tourist spot. Uh, like maybe what fifteen minute walk away, but you have that big grand fortress and then you have all the people here living in a very tight knit you know and 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 low resource neighborhood it's it's just so interesting how these disparities i mean they always existed we've known about them but i'm just mentioning my world here what's happening and they all all these festivities happening and it it feels nice to be around people but it also feels when you enter the tourist spots you see the complete contrast from one neighborhood to another and who has and who does not have the economic means to to live in this in this in this in this coastal city so um so for folks who don't know uh, about colombia is just more of you know the the economic situation it, it just shows how there's always this constant background of capitalism uh, dividing people be- because of their classes. So I, I just thought I'd mention that. Um, I like being here. It is sketchy, <laughs> but the first day they tried to rob, <laughs> I was like, no, I'm Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> Robbed, and was that like with a weapon? Uh well, not 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 uh, with a weapon, but they did approach our taxi driver, and our taxi driver, unfortunately, was from this neighborhood, and he spoke to not with a weapon, but they surrounded the vehicle. Wow! <laughs> wow. No, that's scary. Uh, 
Um, last question, I guess, is would you describe this trip you're taking more for like business, if you will, or pleasure, you know, because um, I know you're involved in, you know, you've involved in immigration stuff and things like that. So what, how would you describe yeah. it? You know, people ask me that all the time. I, I don't know. It feels to me, Colombia now, this is the third time I'm here, but I stay long periods of time. Last time, three months, this time, two months, three, four, four months here. And it feels to me very close now to commute like home like when i go back to mexico because i i know how to navigate in bogota the capital and know where to go and and where what neighborhoods to stay i don't stay in hotels and i come here as a tourist when i when i say but i don't come here i also i also do my independent like work and study and, and do my thing here like i don't just spend all day going and visiting places but I see people, I am involved with people in what they're doing. I visit studios. I, uh, you know, I see former sex workers. I, like last year, I still stay in contact with many of them. I, I, I love being here because of the culture, the, the people who have received me and just the community that I have formed here. Uh, and then sometimes I'll go out and see an, another coastal town and see bits and places, but that costs money. So I don't always have the economic means to just go and spend every single day to go somewhere and spend leisurely time doing whatever I'd like to do. So I stay put in a neighborhood. I alquilo, I arriendo, which is a, just I rent a spot that has beds, that has everything, and 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 I'll just be here for some time. You know, there's a lot of places you can look up here to find some place, and they'll have they'll give you their their home, their their room, and share a bathroom. And or I stay with some friends, but I let's see if I was to answer that. I think I stay for both. Like I do stay for work, sort of, and then I stay for not work like I work here, yeah. but I do my own independent work. Like I still do some interpreting gigs via via video calls. But I I uh, mostly I'm to tell you both. I'm mostly writing a lot just to finish some things up here. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so that's my that's my that's what I do here. Do you have a plan for a transition? Because I'm actually curious as to what you're hearing about Palestine and being in that location and what people are also talking yeah. about, you know, the, that, that situation. Yeah. Well, here people support Palestine, at least the people I've spoken to. I don't, I don't, I haven't kept up with the news for as far as the government. I should probably, I should ask, but I know, for example, in, in Venezuela, it's support of Palestine. And here in Colombia, the people I've spoken to, uh, they support Palestine. For um, for the few folks that do support Israel, it's mostly I think because of religious, or somehow they think that it's because of religious uh, uh, support that they have to support Israel. But most people I've seen people wear what is it the cup. Kafia, the the, the Kafia, yeah, the kafia, yes. I see a lot of people doing that here, and and I I love uh, having engaging discussions with them. But they're, they're not as I think most people are not as depending on the situation as involved in like a protest or something. It's more like a solidarity support from afar, but an opinion most mostly. 
but they don't see it like in the USA right now where I see people actually going on the streets. And I'm I'm not I'd I'd like to know, you know, what's happening out there because I'm I've not been there for some time. But since since the whole thing since we've last recorded. Um, yeah. but but here I don't see that happening here as much. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's good to have you back. Um I suspect we're, it'll be a case-by-case basis. Is that correct, Eduardo? Mm-hmm. Um, so people, what do you mean case-by-case? You mean no, like... You're not, well, necessarily, you're not necessarily going to be with us every week kind of thing. I will do my best. Yeah. I will yeah. do my utmost best. Yeah. So I have been I have been out of touch, but I don't want to do that uh, in the next coming weeks. So to answer your question, Andy, I hope it's not case... Well, yeah, we'll be in touch every week, but I want to be here for next week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to know that you're safe um, and glad you're okay. And definitely it's good to have you back. Um, so partly what I'd like to do is to get your thoughts about what's happened since over the last month in Palestine, not a review, but just your feelings about the events. Um, and they start right October 7th when Hamas did its breakout out of Palestine and on several fronts um, attacked different Israeli past, you know, um, checkpoints and and military bases and police stations, and there were uh, so-called civilian targets um, as well. Um, that's October seventh, which is the same day as Brandy and I getting married, but in twenty twenty one. Yes, yeah. Um, so it starts on October seventh, and there has been a whole series of obviously the world turned from looking at other parts of the world particularly ukraine and has the entire world is now looking at what's going on in gaza west bank lebanon iran israel you know and and then watching this conflict uh seemingly threaten to grow um and it has progressed so i'm just wondering eduardo if you could just share some impressions about things um that you can share with with us and the what's left of audience. right uh, all right. So what I, you know, when, when, when we last recorded, I felt that we had covered something that was going to be this one, maybe two week long event that was going to happen. We've seen things like this happen in Palestine where suddenly there is a conflict between them. Suddenly there is, there is an agreement to make to like to peace and to make sure that we like different governments calling for peace at the moment or to stop a uh, ceasefire. And and so uh, I thought that was going to happen. Now that Lebanon has been involved, and I think it was this week that there's going to be a, like Muslim leaders going to convene together to see what's going to happen, if, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I, I, I've been keeping up with other things, but, you know, Palestine is definitely on, on everyone's radar right now in the news. And so that's what I've heard. So to me, seeing how this conflict is growing from Palestine and Israel, always Palestine and Israel, to suddenly growing to possibly a bigger conflict that's now beyond their, that's just that region. And I had said to you, Andy, that given someone that I know personally that is um, works on a military base and, uh, and is now deciding not to retire in, in this military, in, well, I'll say Japan, and they're in the military base in Japan, and and uh, deciding now to move back to the USA somewhere safer. Um, 
because there are notifications and alerts about a possible war, more war happening, uh, more than just Ukraine. Uh, this is making me nervous since we've last spoken because it feels to me that you have the China and U.S. relationship, you have, you know, the relationship that Russia has with North Korea and with China, and you have the BRICS happening down south, you know, in South Africa with all the other uh, states uh, meeting without uh, without the USA and without even some of the uh, European uh, strong countries. It, it feels to me, I have, I'm getting anxious to see the possible outcome of a World War III. You know, uh, I don't like to think it will happen because I think we have, I, I, I would like to think that we've learned our lessons, what could happen, catastrophic consequences. We're already too damaged, you know, globally to have another thing like that happen. And with the technology and the science that we've developed, we could do further damage to ourselves, our bodies, to the environment. And, you know, beyond climate change, for those who believe that CO2 gases are going to kill us, you know, it's, it's, it's really the bioweapons that are going to be produced out of this and that could be targeted into major cities. And as well as, you know, how much warfare that's going to happen under, underwater with tanks. And, and I see what's happening in the Ukraine. And they're just desolate, you know, areas with so many missiles, not even nuclear bombs, missiles, you know, that have destroyed bit part, lots of areas of Ukraine. And I just don't, I think the future is bleak in that sense, you know, and I don't like to sound always this way. You're the one who's always talking about war, Andy, and so is Kenny. You know, I'm always talking about needing to <laughs> save the river so that we have some, <laughs> you know, but this is like, it does give me, you know, all jokes aside, it does give me anxiety to think about this, especially after I received a call from one of my closest uh, people who has folks in the military base in Japan and deciding to come home and who work very closely with the government. And, I'm, you know, I can't say further than much, anything more than that. And um, and with this looming over us, I don't know how people can say no to immigration because we're bombing people's countries, you know? And there's going to be a lot of more Middle Eastern folk, people from the Arab nations that are going to have to move out of those areas, just like we did with Syria, just like we did with Afghanistan and Iraq. And people have to move and people don't want to accept them into European countries. But those European countries were the ones that were bombing those nations, you know? So um, what I... What I found the turning point for this was when Lebanon decided to intervene and be a part of this conflict. Mostly it's always Israel, you know, squashing and 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 and, and taking down uh the 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 resistance of Palestine. But you have another nation involved. And I don't see the USA, I don't see Biden at all. I was looking at something today. I don't see Biden at all deciding to take one side. He's not, excuse me, take the, take um, a neutral stance for just, he's clearly for Israel, mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, so much for, as we've said in the last episode, so much for people accepting that Ukraine was just supported for its independence. And if that was so, then you should, then the USA would supposedly, I would think, support 
Palestine for its independence. If you're going to say the same rhetoric, we're just supporting independence around the world, Taiwan, Ukraine. Well, I don't think so. It looks like with Palestine, right? So there's some there's something to say about that because you don't want to... I saw a cockroach. Um, okay. Luis just killed him. Uh, that was a very Buddhist as well. We've been practicing a lot of meditation recently. But <laughs> anyhow, oh, you know, uh, so, yeah, the hypocrisy about that. Now, the question remains if the Palestine resistance is in truly independent, right? If Hamas is acting on its own, or if there are other people who are behind the scenes trying to stir things up and using Hamas as a puppet, I, I don't know. I, but I... I suspect with I suspect that you know with what happened with the weapons being going in, do you remember we talked about that unnoticed, and where are those weapons coming from? There are other forces I mean I think I don't know Kenny you I want you to hear both of you i there are other people who are going to be interested in stirring things up, but I don't think it's for the Palestine independence. I think it's really to a distraction from Ukraine and Russia and to possibly start another conflict in the Middle East. I mean, those are my thoughts. These are what things that I've been thinking about. Uh, and that's what's I, been on my mind. And one more question. When you say distraction, and when, when you think about an instigator, you know, obviously we don't know, but when you think about an instigator, are you thinking out of a Western instigator or more like an Iranian no. instigator, a Russian, Chinese instigator? Like what, who, who are you more thinking is, is taking action? I'm thinking an instigator that is aligned with Russia. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what I've been thinking. Yep. I may be wrong, but right. I mean, we're, 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 we're just from what we've covered, from what we've, I mean, we're not just, you know, on what's left, we've looked at different angles. And we have had more suspicions than most people who just follow the news. Excuse me. The, yeah. And I think sometimes what happens is we, we give an alternative view, right? Like we, and, 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 and it's, and we have, we have been, what, what do you call it? We were doing, we were doing, had a discussion. We have been more, uh, skeptical of like what is being given and delivered to us. So I'm more open since we've spoken, I think, what was it? When we were discussing Ukrainian war, I think it was Andy when you presented with us on what's left on the episode. But I really do think that, you know, this is in order for the conflict to, to, to have less support in Ukraine, to be able to also have another conflict out here in the Middle East. Yeah. That's my thought. But I'd like to hear from both of you too, because I, I those are the thoughts I'm having. Now. Unless you have another question. No, I, I probably want to bring it over to Kenny because then the, this episode came about when Kenny and I were just talking. Like, well, okay, what are we going to talk about? There's there's a not a lot of ways to go actually in some ways. And Kenny had said he was wanting to revisit what's been going on in Palestine and Gaza. Yeah. But maybe I'll just direct it over to Kenny to see what you would say about 
since October 7th, since that last episode we've had on what's left, you know, what are, what are your thoughts? What are your questions? And then let's take it from there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think of, obviously there's more time, more information. Uh, I've heard different people talk about, you know, what's happening, right? Like it ranges from, uh, you know, the obvious moral arguments, right. About what's happening, the genocide that's happening down there. Um, you know, civilians, uh, the, you know, this reaction of Israel to what uh, Scott Ritter is the person that I've been listening to a lot. Um, and, you know, he goes to different shows and I like him the way he talks because he talks about the tactical, you know, uh, possibilities. And, you know, he himself acknowledges that we can't know everything. <laughs> you know, we, we are shooting in the dark. We have we are conspirational theories right in a way. And we, this show, don't consider that a bad thing. Um, we have to see what's going on right behind. And, um, and so I bring him up because, you know, in the last time we, well, the three of us, talked about it, I brought up this question, you know, what, what does Hamas get out of it, right? Like, because, yes, of course, they are, like, there is no way. You, you just asked that question, Eduardo like the weapons, the training, there's no way they did this by themselves. No way. They had support from someone else, right? They had to get training. This operation, according to Scott Reader, it's one of the most um, advanced military operations uh, executed in, in modern times. Like in, in, he says that the level of planning and he talks about his involvement in planning in like the Gulf War and in other conflicts, like, you know, he's been in the military and that was his job to come up with scenarios of planning, invasions, you know, holding territory, tactical maneuvering, logistics, all this stuff. And so he says that, you know, this uh, Hamas, um, there is no way Hamas did this act without thinking ahead, right? Because I think on one end, uh, the argument goes that, what do you expect from these people who are so oppressed, right? Uh, you know, and so it gets this means as uh, lashing out, I think, without much thought of the, the you know, the preceding uh, events or, the you know, the events that, that come after. And so there is no way, you know, that Hamas did this. I've come to that conclusion by listening and, you know, looking at what's happened since, um, because Palestine was in a difficult situation. Uh, before this, they had been forgotten by by and large, and they forced the issue by doing this. Not only did they show that the Israelis are not almighty and powerful in the mythology that they've created as a you know, a, like a a very successful uh, intelligence uh, system. You know the what is it? What is their CIA? They're basically CIA called the Mossad. The Mossad, you know, and all this, and they failed. They could not. Um, they didn't. They weren't able to 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 stop this. They were failures in many ways, um, and so this wasn't a lashing out. This was this was a military operation that defeated and did a provided a big blow to the Israelis. And their Israeli response has put them in a very difficult position worldwide, right? Um, I, I think. You got to be blind to not see how the world has reacted. You know, masses of people 
you know, uh, rising up and saying this is not okay. So Israel is a general, they can, their ability to use that victim card is going to be, uh, you know, imperiled. The moral high ground, you know, is being lost. And, but in that context, I think it's important to also look at what's happening in Ukraine, right? Like, I, I agree with you. Uh, well, you asked that question, Eduardo. Who is doing this? Or Lipson asked it. I, I think in the context of Ukraine, where the West hasn't been as successful um, at achieving its goals, uh, where the Russians call the bluff of the West, and again, I'm basing this on a lot of the arguments of Scott Reader, just for full transparency, because he's talked about the, the progression of the Ukrainian war in ways that we don't get access to in, 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 in the mainstream media, right? Like from the death to the tactical victories and defeats of the Russians, he's also open that the Russians have lost a lot of people, but it's not like the way the Western media is reporting it. And today what we find out of the Ukrainian war which has been on a scale of a world war, you know, industrial war, we have a Russian army that in his words, Scott Ritter, says is the most, the, the strongest military in the world right now because they have experience, they have developed logistical, uh, the ability to, fig they figure out the ability to, support, you know, to create the logistics to support their military projects, right? Something that he claims the U.S. doesn't have right now, especially when we're spread thin so, in so many places. Um, and the, the, the Russians in the last episode, we talked about how the West doesn't have the capacity. And this is not Scott Reader. This is like other um, war gamers, right? That, that, that have talked about the stockpile of the West in the U.S., and that we don't have the industrial capacity to engage in a war with China or, or Russia on a world war, you know, scale, industrial scale. And so when you contextualize Israel, right, like um, Israel in, in another person I listened to is uh, uh, Garland Nixon. And he talked about how he sees the, the, the Israel as a military uh, U.S. military posts. I happen to agree with that. That Israel is a military base of the U.S. And that military base got penetrated. They got attacked. Uh, they got uh, shown up, you know, uh, to be not as strong uh, as they think they are. And also they're being brought into a battle that is difficult. It's, again, I, I listened to Scott Reader talk about uh, Iwo Jima, talk about Vietnam, uh, you know, talk about Fallujah. So these are trench warfare, not trench, uh, uh, tunnel warfare. And the, the, so that's underground. There's also urban warfare. And so this is a combination of, of all that. So for Israel to come into Gaza and actually control that, that, that region, there, you know, according to Scott Reader, <laughs> this is impossible because, um, they don't have the training, they don't have the preparation. Uh, they don't, you know, this is some of the most disgusting, uh, excruciating and difficult type of warfare that exists that's happened, you know, in history. Uh, we know what happened in Vietnam, for example, you know, how the Vietnamese were able to defeat uh, the USA with, with the, you know, uh, miles and miles of tunnels, you know, just popping up and shooting them up and taking them down. And, um, 
And so, again, I, I do believe Hamas is, is not completely alone, but I also don't think they're completely, they lack independence. You know, they have a, a, a reason for fighting. They have a reason for pressing the issue when the world has forgotten, you know, about pal the Palestinian issue, even other Muslim countries, you know, because th that is also another um, thing that we have to analyze that we also think that the Muslim countries are all the same. You know, they're all in, in, in the same issue for the same reasons. They're not, you know, we, we've talked about how the world works in our view, right, Lipson, like, that all of these governments, they're mobsters. They're, they each have the ruling classes, you know, and they each have their interests and the, the pieces are moving and allegiances change. And, but right now what's happened is that the US is weak and the West is weak. And they've been shown that they're no longer the big boy in the yard. You know, they, they've been, there was a, a significant defeat in, in Ukraine, you know, and now the Israeli situation too shows that they're not almighty and, and impenetrable. And, and on top of that, they don't have the ability to wage war against everyone. And so some of the things that are brought up is that in the region, there's a lot of U US military bases that people don't wanna have them there because it threatens the sovereignty and the ability to exist of other countries. It's not just Israel, right? Iran has a lot of fucking military bases against them. The Houthis, right, in Yemen, uh, they declare war, even if it's symbolic, but they have a beef, right? We have uh, uh, Hezbollah, you know, and uh, the Algerian army too, I think also declares symbolic uh, support for Palestine, the Palestinian issue that they would provide arms and so on and on and on. And, and, and I guess the point is that when you put these two issues together, it shows that the world has changed. You know, the, 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 the unipolar world is no longer here, you know, in my view that there are other people that want to play and they're willing to play because the big bully, you know, doesn't have the boots on the ground because that's some, something else that I, I, you know, I've been hearing about that when it comes to actually exerting power, yes, you can destroy shit, you can bomb the shit out of it, but it doesn't mean you're going to control territory. It doesn't mean you're going to control, you know, a, a region, you know, you, all you can do is destroy it. And in order to, uh, actually threatening someone, in invading someone like Iran, you have to have the ability, the numbers of people willing to die for that fucking cause. You know, and, and the U.S. doesn't have that. You know, uh, and, and, you know um, and again, like, their bluff, I think, is being shown. I do think now that militarily and politically, the U.S. is actually not first. You know, and, and other people are seeing that. And, and I'm not saying that to, um, to celebrate, you know, necessarily in the sense of like, that means good things for everyone. And in fact, that means the opposite. That means more dangerous, more danger, right? Like there were two carriers off the coast of Israel. Now there is also a nuclear submarine, you know, because they have to show force, right? And, and that's, that's the only ability. Because again, the U.S. hasn't really engaged in any major war when it major power, um, you know, in a way that demands uh, a high level of logistical planning and, and industrial production, right? Because you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, come on, like you know, since world since World War Two, basically World War Two. Yes, you're right. <clears throat> yeah, um, you know, uh, Vietnam. You know, like 
these are people with significantly less resources, you know, in terms of um, industrial capacity and technological, uh, you know, weapons and all this stuff that you mentioned, Eduardo. Uh, the Taliban too, right? We mentioned before that 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 also shows that in a technologically inferior uh, resistant group can defeat. It will cost a long time, and I think this is what Hamas understands that it will cost lives. It will it will cost you know it, it, it will take a long time, but you can defeat you know a, a, a superior army that um, you know. Uh, and, and again, like you ask who might be behind this, I think that the ability of the Russians to demonstrate, you know, the, the capacity to fight modern warfare, you know, it, it doesn't bother other people because uh, they are the ones who know how to win the way war is going to be fought. You know, and, and again, this is hard to see for us because um, for most people, because even I like I look for things on the internet. It's so hard to find shit that's not propaganda. It's so find, hard to find shit that doesn't say that the Russians have been humiliated, that the Russians don't have this, that the Russians are fighting with shovels, that the Russians are this. And then now, like uh, there is uh, rumors, right, that Zelensky is being pressured to negotiate with the Russians for 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 an end to that solution to that issue. Um, the, the world is moving on from, from, from Ukraine, you know, and, and we're in Palestine. And, and, and I don't think, and, and I think this was forced by Hamas. You know, I, I do believe that now that because, yes, of course, you know, war is dirty. War, you know, they, they did kill civilians. You know, I don't think they kill as many. There's also reports you, you hinted at them, right, Lipson, where not everyone was killed by the, the Hamas soldiers. That there was actually IDF or you know Israeli forces that killed people in crossfire, so they killed their own people. But obviously, the propaganda machine works, you know, in a way that we know how it works. I mean, we know, but it's insane because I have to go through people like Scott Ritter, who will make arguments and in predictions, and actually his predictions often come out true. You know. And so that's what leads me to to follow and listen more carefully to people like him, you know, even if he gets, doesn't get it all right, obviously. And I also wonder how the hell does he know all this, right? Uh, uh, he has contacts in the military, we hope. But the fact is that his predictions become, you know, have been more constantly true than the predictions of the mainstream media uh, who are trying to sell us a complete lie and have deviated from the fact that the the West is in, you know, did not get the result that they wanted, that that conflict is coming to an end, you know, or, or at least to, to a situation where they can win. And, and, and not only that, but now they have a complicated situation here that was forced by a very insignificant, I would call, you know, um, uh, military. You know, the, the Hamas doesn't have tanks. Hamas doesn't have aircrafts. You know, yet they they changed the game. They they put the U.S. in in a situation where they had to support an openly genocidal you know uh, government, right? In, in the eyes of the world. And so, sorry for going and going, but these are the where the questions come up for me, right? Like, are we witnessing um, 
the the complete like unmasking of the facade of the carrot from the US, right? We we talk about empires dying violent deaths. Like they don't go away just easily and succumb, you know, into the background, just like that. And so that that's a question that I have in my head. Like are we witnessing this because I also see the COVID shit, uh, uh, you know, uh, in this mix of shit, because that, that's some fascist shit that we, we experience. Yeah. You know, and, and now we have some shit which we're just bombing civilians and we don't give a fuck. You know, and we're going to, and the U.S. is going to continue to support them and continue to send money when the rest of the world is telling them no. So th- that's where some of my thoughts. Yeah, I mean... You said a lot. Let me think if I a lot, yeah. Yeah. Um what I mean the fact is is I I don't ultimately know all the different players that are involved. I mean, obviously we're, we're all speculating. Um a few things a few things I know. Um what it's estimated ten thousand Palestinians have been killed, right? That was that's the number I've heard. Um and I'm going to go. I'm going to go back and forth between Palestine and Ukraine, um, and uh, the 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 forces. Israel has kind of begun to go in to Gaza, um, and it it's trying to cut off northern Gaza from southern Gaza, and it's just on the periphery of. It's not hasn't entered the big cities. It's attempted to flatten some of the buildings with either uh, airstrikes or artillery, and in some cases shells you know, from tanks and things like that that are adjacent to those areas. Um, and we've heard about massive casualties. And they, you know, that one report of, uh, there was the, the, the report of the hospital that supposedly Moss took down, but it, it looks very much like Israel took down. And then the recent one where a refugee camp site was, was flattened to kill one Hamas leader, but so many civilian deaths. I mean, um, and I think that's the thing you're speaking to, where the the mask, the the, the veneer of Western democracy, and that was what what is Israel put up as? It is put up as the democ the democracy in the Middle East in this sea of backwardness, right? And I I think, and then we've often used this term fascism as some sort of like metast as a cancer of democracy, and but I, I believe. There isn't a difference between democracy under capitalism and fascism. It's just about the de- the level of the crisis that 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 the countries or society finds itself in, into which that mask, which is it's it's always been essentially fascism, but really what it's actually always been is capitalism. And I think people are thinking like that's why I've, I'm increasingly having this difficulty with like you know may, even making a distinction. But, we we see the bu- bullshit where it's a Trump's a fascist. Oh no, Biden's a fascist. You know, as if you're trying to like throw somebody to be like the, to the other side. I'm like, dude, they're all monsters. They're all these people. They're all deeply racist and deeply power hungry, and they will kill small people for any reason. They'll all do it, and and they have done it. And it would be done by the United States. It would be done by China. It would be done by Russia. It would be done by Israel. It would be done by Algeria. It would be done in Colombia. All ruling classes are capable of that because they are capitalist ruling classes. So I don't even, I don't even talk about, I mean, for me, I don't really talk about fascism anymore. I, it just, to me, it just looks like capitalism in action and it, and we, we, we are seeing its true nature, um, in, as it gets into deeper and deeper crisis. Um, 
And that's partly what I think is happening. Now, going back to Palestine and what's going on and um, and the attack on Gaza, you know, I've heard reports of like uh, lots of losses by, by, I mean, definitely losses on the part of the Palestinians, but lots of military losses on the part of Israel already. And only, and very early on, even as they just enter the outskirts, because you just see these pictures of Palestinians coming out of holes and shooting tanks, shooting uh, um, uh, carriers for the the military vehicles that they use to carry troops, um, shooting um, bulldozers, but basically just, you know, doing hit and run stuff, like constantly, you know, and losses are accruing. And again, I, I think the Palestinians are going to pay a deep price, price in blood for this. Um, but I, I tend to still think of them as being used as proxies for other powers that, that are essentially doing to the United States and to Israel what the United States was going to try to do to, to Russia using Ukraine and was unsuccessful. Um, now to go back to Ukraine, since this has happened, not only has Ukraine gone off the, you know, like more and more powers are not looking at Ukraine and trying to get away from Ukraine, but the situation has become more desperate in the Ukrainian government. Um, you know, there are supposedly big splits between the, the Zeluzhny, who's the director of the military, and Zelensky. Um, and uh, one of Zeluzhny's people was killed with like a, 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 a birthday party grenade nest he got, he got sent. It was like very strange, you know, like this is the shit that's going down now. Um, and, and the, the, the counter, the counter, the counter offensive that Ukraine has done was a disaster, has not worked. And now you see another city, Avdivka, which is another Bakhmut, slowly getting encircled by the Russians. Russians are taking losses, but they are taking a major, they are also slowly taking out a major defense point uh, for Ukraine. Um, and the Ukrainian military is in a desperate situation where the average age of its soldiers are in the are 43. That's an average. 43 is the average. That means you've got 60 year old soldiers and 20 year old soldiers, right? Of equal amount almost. Um, and so it's, so this, the situation where the US was trying to bleed Ukraine turned into a situation where NATO was exposed and you and the United States has been been bled. And I do believe that there's now another front on which that's going to happen. I I just am not convinced that Hamas itself is acting independently or even, the, yeah, I mean, that the political forces in that region, I don't know if it's possible to act independently because everybody has a stake in that region. Um, I do think, like that thing I sent to you from Richard Medhurst talking about the U.S. attempting to to build the Ben Gurion Canal in response to the Suez Canal that was there as a as a U.S. and Israel controlled alternative. I don't know if that's the whole story for why the U.S. Is, or why the U.S. has to go with this. Although I do think it's a big region. Like at this point, the U.S. is committed to Israel's victory because Israel's defeat means a U.S. defeat in that region, and a U.S. defeat in that region means a Russian and China and an Iranian victory. And you know, Iran is is going to be the major power that that is that is going to dominate in the region, but it will have its Russian and and Chinese benefactors. Um, so it everything to me looked for me everything looks dominated by big by imperial imperial politics. 
uh, politics of empire, uh, not just from the United States, but Russia and China. Um, and it does look really bad for the United States. Not like, oh, and yes, it, it's politically bad. They are way more even isolated now. Um, when UN, they, Russia posed a ceasefire resolution that got knocked down uh, because it wasn't critical of Hamas. Brazil puts forward the same resolution with criticism of Hamas and a bunch of people go for it and U.S. and Israel still have, or U.S. still has to take it out, you know? And so U.S. was alone in, in going against that UN resolution. Now the UN is a bullshit operation, but it is a place to show where the big powers are jockeying for influence and to show who's, who is, who has the ear of the world, uh, not the working per person's world, but the worlds of, of the elites. Um, and in every venue, it just looks like the U.S. is politically isolated. It's it's becoming more and more, um, uh, it, it, more and more. It's having to serve more and more places, like with if it's material, because it is not materially able to keep up with the of the economic production of China and Russia. Um, and but I, but I think it is it is getting more dangerous because the big player. I feel like is really losing its grip pretty quickly. Um, and, and for them to put out uh, uh, the Ohio, the, what is that Ohio class submarine in the region is them saying we're, it's obvious that we're prepared to go there with nuclear weapons. And so everyone always says, will the Russians use, will the Russians use? I don't, I just don't see it coming from the Russians. I see it's coming from the United States. I see it coming from the West because they're the ones who are losing. And I think, either in the context of a false flag or in the context of actually trying to use these things in some limited way uh, to try to turn the tide. I, I, I think things have definitely gotten more dangerous. Um, but the stories that I'm reading are more like that Israel is seeing pretty quickly that it's got its hand again caught in a trap. Um, and apparently the trap is even harder when you level these these buildings, which is what they're doing. It's harder to actually go in and control it. And Israel has actually even recently said that it's going to commit to a long-term occupation of that region. Last thing, I do think one of the other things that makes me feel like th that there it, there's cynicism on the part of the, the so-called resistance, not the Hamas resistance, but Lebanon and Iran and things like that, is Nasrallah made a recent statement about like, you know, supporting the Palestinians. But it was very clear that they weren't going to engage militarily at this point in time. And my feeling is, look, I think they're being very, they're being very cagey and thinking, let's see how it plays out with Palestinian blood before we start putting Lebanese blood into this. And let's see if we can, maybe we can believe, maybe we can watch Israel get weakened more before we put our troops in. Um, and I think the Palestinians have to understand they are going to be used in that way. Um, their their conflict is going to be used that way. It's not going to be these Arab Arab countries all coming together. Even if you hear Turkey, the the person from Turkey, what's um, Erdogan, gave this rousing speech to like seemed like a million people. These countries are not there for the Palestinians. They're not there for the people. They are there to see when the opportunity that they can strike when their quote opponent is weak, um, and. That's what they're going to, I think they're all going to assess that. Um, and so that's why I don't look at this as like a resistance moment per se. I look at it as a, 
clinical operation of empires testing each other out and the United States continually finding itself falling short in, into in a relationship in a, in a relationship to a series of tests that it's challenges it's faced from emerging empires. I mean, I think that's like that's the history of people who want to get rid of an occupying force. You know, they are often like just pawns in in on the board. I mean, that was the Cold War, right? You know, like a lot of people were post World War. You know, like the the Soviet Union supported a lot of movements that would weaken the uh, you know traditional empires, uh, and and so. And it wasn't it wasn't necessarily about liberating these people, but weakening the opponent. And, and and so I think that is important to say and also on this uh again notion that you know the mus the Muslim world will unite and come after. That's not how it works. <laughs> you know, uh, because they've shown it, like you said, like they're willing to sacrifice the Palestinian lives, you know, in but I do think also like this moment will be used, is being used by people like in Iran to build up their own armies, you know, to whip up this sentiment in the masses, right? Because no doubt, you know, people feel the the the, the pain, you know, the, the, I'm talking about the masses, you know, because the masses are going out to demonstrate. And I'm, I'm cynical because like, I don't think that does much, <laughs> you know, in the sense, um, you know, other than, like the workers in in in, uh, in Barcelona, right? That that are they're re are refusing to load weapons. Mm -hmm. um, that that are you know, that is more of an action that that I think I would want the world to do, um, because it's, I'm cynical about demonstrations, you know, like by and large. Um, and but again, it, it will be used by the Iranians to build up their own armies, the Lebanese their own armies, you know. And, and, but the issue here is that. You know, everyone's playing their game. The tensions are rising. And at some point, you know, like something derails the plans. And that's, you know, like a, an unexpected event forces the hand of everyone. You know, like, for example, um, the Israelis bombed, you know, and, this, and killed some people in in Lebanon, right? Like uh, a, a group of family. And so how do you respond to that when your masses are, you know, have a certain sentiment, you know, because th these ruling classes still have to, you know, uh, control their populations, you know, and, and, and the population's energy is riled up right now. And, and so what does that become? You know, who controls that? And are they able to successfully contain it and direct that energy? Because it's happening here too. You know, I brought this up in this conversation that I'm curious as to how this is going to be used to be, this energy is going to be directed into the elections because it always is, you know, in the U.S. Um, and so I don't know if you have any thoughts because I do, I do believe it's going to happen. I mean, maybe I'm just too cynical about everything at this point. But, you know, I, I don't believe that, you know, the demonstrations are going to do much in terms of, changing the stance of the U.S., you know, and continuing to provide the military support because it's not about morality. You know, it's about, you know, tactics and, and empire and, and, and that big board game. 
you know, even as we speak about possible forces or like Muslim countries coming together, we have seen from previous times how uh, it's not necessarily their religion that will unite them. It will always be uh, whether an economic or a power uh, you, uh, you, you, that unite them, like the Saudi Arabia with um, with Israel. You know, like there was that, um, we covered it, I forget, but there was that uh, discussion, yeah. the dialogue that took place between them. And so I think what comes up for me is, um, from what both of you are saying, is that Palestine, the Palestinian people are being used as bonds to further advance but how it well I, I think you said Kenny if I'm not mistaken that Hamas has been emboldened by what's happening around the world with which is now that Russia is taking up its fist at the USA and it's showing that it can do what it wants um and not afraid intimidated by the USA which has been a big bully and so is Russia and so is North Korea and now it's Hamas possible right that's that's what my understanding is from Europe. I think more like Hamas didn't have an option. <laughs> they had to do something like this at some point. You know, they had to force the hand. I'm talking about the other people that are watching the game, you know, unfold. Okay. And, you know, that they're not jumping in, the people that Gibson mentioned, you know, like, you know, we keep talking about Lebanon and Iran, but they also don't want a piece of it if they don't have to. You know, it has to be beneficial to them. They're not going to do this out of morality or, you know, good faith. That's not how the world works. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, it's not out of morality, or it's because it's the same. It's going to be out of some interest. Uh, so, yeah, I, I it saddens me that the Palestinians are being used as pawns, and I, I do agree that it's further armed forces that are behind that or are going to exploit the situation to see what happens. Uh, Andy, oh, but 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 what I was saying with uh, Saudi Arabia and Israel is just, it's just like I don't know if it's any more about Middle Eastern countries coming together to support each other. It's about who they're going to align align with to further see what benefit they will have for themselves. Um, so, um, yeah, that's all. That's all that comes up for me is just the the the, the thought of people being used just as an experiment to see how for, what how further they can go to against such a powerful or the European nations, right, and the USA, um, their powers. You were gonna say something about elections, Andy. Did you want to say something about that? Did you want to say it now? Because I have something I want to say regarding my mother, her religion. She or you know, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the United Kingdom and the USA and the United Kingdom represents like uh, NATO and European Union or, well, they don't now, but they're still with power, uh, military power with the European Union. And they believe that it's like, this is the end of the world. <laughs> this is the end. This is the coming and this apocalypse coming that they don't think that World War Three is going to come. They think it's before that happens that this will be the end. It has a, like a religious aspect to this. And so uh, now that uh, the USA and the United Kingdom 
there's this like statue of Nebuchadnezzar that is shows different colors of and metals of this statue. And at the very bottom is his feet is this mixture of metals. I think it's uh I think it's um uh I don't want to say what it is or not because I might get it wrong. But the very bottom is the last of the the global powers in history. And so it's supposed to represent the USA and the United Kingdom. And now this big force, this big like round ball of fire is going to destroy that and to end this whole tire statue. It this is what the prediction is. So the king of the north has arisen, which is this could be Russia, could be China. And now the USA and the United Kingdom are being are being thrown off their throne, so to speak. This is what the prediction is. So all of this is bringing to me when you when both of you say like now the global or you didn't say chess players, but the global powers are changing in the regions. It it just to me reminds me of my mother's uh, Jehovah's Witness background, her religious belief that yeah, the USA and the United Kingdom are now going to be thrown off their their the 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 the, the, the level of power they have in the world and their influence. So, anyhow, I just thought I'd mention that a little bit. Yeah, and to add, I mean, this is a discussion I had briefly with my brother who can speak on it more, more uh, with more knowledge, but I was wondering why evangelical Christians, well, not, not to a person, but in general, there's been a, a tendency among evangelicals to support Israel in this in this conflict and and he basically was saying well you know wrongly it's a wrong interpretation but an interpretation of revelations basically says israel must exist for revelations to the prophecy and out of revelations where i guess the antichrist comes and then christ comes to defeat the antichrist and all that so israel must exist to do that and so people kind of are still saying israel has to be supported because we can't have anything that's going to wipe it off the map because then these, these revelations won't be fulfilled. Um, and so that was just another religious angle that I, that has been interesting to see where some of Israel's support comes from. Um, uh, the thing I was going to say is I, I don't want people to confuse me thinking that I struggle to see any independence here um, with not supporting the resistance of the Palestinians. I 100% support and I'm with the people who are come, popping out of out of things to destroy those tanks and things like that. They're defending not just their own territory, um, but they have a notion of reclaiming territory that was stolen from them 50 or now 70 years ago. Um, and I, I don't, I do think those people have the right to reclaim their land um, and how that gets resolved. Well, I don't think that gets resolved short of, again, socialist revolution globally. Um, but I think that, you know, there's just a lot of crimes that are going to, you know, imperial crimes that are going to have to be made made right as a result of what the U.S. Empire and the British Empire has done in that whole region. Um, and one of the one of the things it did was it established Israel as an apartheid state um, and as a colonial settler state to militarily support the control of the region and to help them keep. Arab powers divided. Um, so that that's just been part of the project. And so 
there's going to be a price to pay for that. Um, and it will, it will be a price in blood. And unfortunately there's going to be a lot, mostly the blood of the people who are resisting. Um, but there will be a price for all of us ultimately to pay in order to make that right. And I don't know what that, what, what really making all these things right. We talked about indigenous struggles here and are, we have our own indigenous population in the United States who were done wrong and questions came up in a previous episode of, well, what does it look like to be done right? And I'm like, I don't know, but there are going to have to be a lot of reversal of things. Um, and I would welcome that in order to have a world that is truly liberated. Um, but, but again, I don't know what that would, what that would actually look like. Um, in terms of the elections, <laughs> what, I mean, first of all, I guess you could say Cornell West still kind of sounds like a person who is supporting the Palestinian resistance, kind of. But Cornell West basically took himself off the, like he, he left the Green Party and now took himself off the ballot off all these different places. And then the guy who was in his campaign left because he was a Democrat. He was a pre previous, uh, he used to help Clinton run their campaign. And so he essentially torpedoed Cornell West's campaign. And now he's got some new people there. So that campaign is to me is a joke. And I don't think it's meaningful to pay attention to. But, you know, if you go from, RFK Jr. to, uh, you know, to obviously Biden, to any of the Republicans and to Trump, all of them support Israel. Um, you know, Bernie Sanders doesn't even want to cease fire, right? Um, so the U.S., there's, there is no election alternative of any meaning that is going to say anything other than we have to support, U.S. will have, all the candidates are going to be supporting Israel. Because the U.S. has to be all in on this. I don't. There's not an option. Um, and you know, I think some people have been grossed out, and rightly so, by RFK Jr.'s like almost like insane level of support for the war crimes that Israel is doing. But again, I think it just exposes that there is nothing to be voted on here, um, and we won't we won't have choices here in the election as it relates to the actions of the U.S. empire. To support one of its most one of its most important proxies in the region, it's just not up for debate. Yeah, I think RFK is like a bunch of their, his uh, team resigned because of his stance on Israel, and but and I was a little um, encouraged, but because you know I listen to Jimmy though, I don't think he's as radical, you know, but he does. I do like the show. I do listen to it. And I talked to you about how like disgusted I was when they were advancing the narrative that was inserted by RFK about the border and immigration and, and you know, uh, cartels and this stuff to support surveillance, right? And, and essentially <laughs> do the thing that they do in Palestine, you know? And, and so I'm encouraged because he says that he doesn't know what he believes about RFK anymore because he knows that with the vaccine and that, that stuff, he was right on that. But then, you know, everything else is up to question now. And I think that's the right way to think about this stuff, you know, that, you know, like um, we have to stand in principles and, and be, you know, consistent, right? Like uh, you cannot, uh, there is no, there is a connection, an intimate connection between surveillance at the border and, and the Palestinian surveillance. You know, and, and and if you don't see that, then you know you're gonna keep falling for saviors like RFK or Bernie Sanders or whatever the fuck the latest one is. 
Yeah, and just to add to this, Jeff Strahl, I don't, I don't, I haven't read it, but he was telling us in the last Workers and Students for Choice that in the West Bank, um, they are using um, artificial intelligence methods to do facial recognition of people in that region to surveil them. So again, all the tools that people in the fourth industrial revolution community who are worried about the great reset and who are trying to fight that, all these tools are coming into play in that region and they are coming into play in the, on the border. And so you can't fight them. You can't fight the, 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 the institution of those tools and support policies that will lead to the imposition of those tools. So you can't support Israel here and you can't support border control because all that shit's going to come into play there. So sorry, you're going to be stuck with us. Open borders, people. There's just no choice. You have no alternative, whether you like it or not. I mean, but, you know, come to us now or come to us later. And it also is about those people who still believe the whole public health safety bullshit. And because there is some shit coming out the pipe on the WHO, right, with certain powers. And, you know, I mentioned earlier the European Union, I think it was 2025, not 2024, but they're going to have different requirements for, you know, like people coming from the U.S., and so there are systems coming into place that we've been talking about, right? Like in, in, because I think the people, the rule of the world <laughs> understand that things are changing, you know, and, and the game is changing. Um, you know, there are like profound questions about this economic system, you know, the stability of it. Uh, and, and so some things are being done different. We talked about, right? Like the digi digital economy and, and, and extracting data and all that stuff. And, but also like managing physical beings, right? You still have to manage the, the people who are um, decimated and exploited, who are the casualties, you know, uh, of this. And, and so, yes, of course, the Palestinian case um, might seem a little different and distant and they're getting bombed. Like, but the, 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 the story of displacement, the story of social control, the story of, an imposition of, you know, of will, of, of control of water, of food, you know, that story, we have to understand, you know, like that, that is for all of us, you know, because again, these systems are scary and I don't think enough of us know about it, um, you know, that are on a global scale and, and it's not like the a uniform, a one, you know, one group of people, you know, governing the entire world. There's different people, you know, putting their systems in place for their own ends, you know, and, and that's what we have to fight them. And, you know, and this is how our story is connecting to the Palestinian story, I believe. You know, that that, that is a cautionary tale uh, of uh, what is happening in front of us, you know, in horror, really, for me, because, you know, uh, we know that AI is everywhere now. <laughs> like, it's just in our face is in, in commercials and everything you know Pfizer is more than you know advertising you know, every shit that I watch on, on you know, the platforms that that I watch you know uh, TV on um, and so again to me there is no disconnect like between these dynamics that are going globally right like with these wars and the systems that are being implemented to manage us all, you know, more and more restricting our ability to do anything, like send money to Panama or, you know, or go to Europe in, in, in 2025 uh, or anywhere. I, you know, as we're talking, and I think this is a good place to find a way to include is, uh, you know, 
what most people would do in other organizations or even folks that support the Democrats or Republicans is they would go along with what that party or that that group or organization is deciding to stand for and not question it. And here I'm noticing as we're discussing and we're criticizing JFK and a lot of our listeners and people who have been with us are JFK followers or um, RFK. RFK. Excuse me, JFK. <laughs> RFK, RFK, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Eddie. RFK. Um, you know, they, Robert F. Kennedy. Um, oh, we sorry, might define- again, Eduardo. It's actually RFK Jr. <laughs> RFK Jr. <laughs> sorry. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Yeah. I think that to stick to to be consistent with our principles with our values with our with our political stands it means it we might not always you know we have to stick to it. we might we might be together at one point and then split again because a lot of people in the medical freedom group they they're following people who are anti open borders so uh you know it, and as much as we try and we have been here talking about how it's all related and how the connections to it if you're just not in it then you know we're not here to appease or to 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 uh to try to um win over our audience we might just lose another wave of audience members you know and that's just the way it is that's the way the cookie crumbles you know we'll be together at some point and we have to follow with the consistent be consistent with our our values, our positions. And uh, it tells me that some people will just not change. And I think that even now with RFK Jr. and being consistent with Trump and Biden, which is both parties of the political spectrum, um, I, I think that that's something for people to think about. Do you want to be, like this is, this is what the majority, or this is the mainstream, this is conventional right or left, you know? So anyhow, I'm just pointing that out because uh, I know we have mentioned this before, where people will be split with us, and that's fine. You know, talk about unmasking, right? Like maybe that's another episode, but you know, like I, I feel like there is an unraveling too of the American quote-unquote democracy. You know, that's happening. You know, this uh, you know, there <laughs> this whole like persecution of Trump, right? I don't, I don't care for elections. You know, I, I, they're all the same. I'm working for the same machinery. There is still, you know, factions in, in the in the ruling class. You know, they're not a uniform thing. In, in you know, many years, many many months ago, I think we talked about um, the difference in uh, between like the Democrats and Republicans and who who they wanted to tackle first, China or Russia. You know, so there there are some factions. You know, and but again, the, the the facade of democracy in this country, at least for me, is being also unveiled. Like, you know, like uh, you know, by and large, if you believe the polls, you know, which can be manipulated, um, I think it's hard to deny the popularity of Trump. <laughs> and, and you know, and, and they're doing everything that banana republics, right? The others do to their political um, challengers, their or political opponents. 
you know, this guy is being persecuted and, and eroding that facade that we live in a democracy, even after, you know, we also had a, uh, well, I don't know if I can mention the elections, right? It's, uh, uh, we know what's happened, right? Like that there's evidence of, of things being manipulated. And, and so my point is that, that even that doesn't have a facade. And, and I feel like there's like the monsters that really live behind the mask are coming out everywhere, you know, and, and, and I don't know, like it's, it's scary, but it's also, um, I think a sign of, uh, of an, a change uh, and, and something decaying and, and yeah. Yeah, one other point that I would make kind of from what Eduardo was saying is, I think, again, I think all these sorts of things expose to what level people really are rooted in a principle or not. Um, there have been a, a number of people who were, who were maybe there, and these are more conservative folks who were very critical of cancel culture and things like that. And like people getting, you know, losing their jobs for positions. And now those same people are coming out and saying, if you supported Hamas, if you supported, you know, this, you have no right to have a job. You have no right, you know, like all sorts of essentially using those very same techniques to try to like censor people and say, you, you, you don't have the right to a particular position if that it's beyond the pale, which it isn't, it is not beyond the pale to support Hamas. Um, and, or, and certainly not to support Palestinian resistance, um, which Hamas is an aspect of that. Um, even if for those people who would say, and are right to, to, to note that it originates from an opposition to secular opposition to, uh, to Israel and to the, even some of the Arab nations where there was secular opposition. So they, so that Israel and the United States would help support groups like Hamas as a Muslim counterweight to those secular resistance movements. Um, but um, so I just think that, you know, those folks, they're, they're not being principled. And that doesn't for me mean like, and I agree with you, Eduardo, if we have to break, I would just say that break would happen in the context of an actual movement. And I don't think there's any movement here in the United States. Um, and so right now, it's a, it's a lot of agreeing to disagree. It's a lot of like, okay, that's how you see it. Uh, I see it a different way. I just feel like that's that's where things are, at least for me. It's not something where I'm like, I wouldn't talk to you. I mean, you're not saying that. I'm just saying <clears throat> it's just like, I, you know, I don't understand how you think that's going to work or how you think that's going to be consistent. But I'm not going to like say I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You know, I think it could only get to that point if there was a movement that we had to take sides on here in this country. And I'm speaking in the United States because you're not in the United States. So that's my thoughts about that. Yeah. I mean, we're not there yet, right? Yeah. We're not at a place where we will have to split. I mean, I thought I joked around a long time. I think I sent out the meme once. That you two socialists and I as Americans were together until the you know we'll yeah. see each other at the line at the <laughs> at the revolution line. Yeah, it's a yeah. joke. It's a yeah. joke. But I think we're more we have more in common than we do than before. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know as times have changed. But yeah, you you we're not at a place where I think as as a working class revolt resistance organized effort we'll find ourselves right now in to be split completely. I think everyone's split in political rhetoric or even yeah. just uh, not talking in terms of 
political culture and canceling each other. But as far as a revolution happening or an uprising happening, I, I don't think we're there yet. It's unfortunate. And I'll say it now. I wish we were there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I don't like to always say, but yeah, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, anyhow, any last thoughts? Because I think I'm, 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 I'll look for the, for the outro. No, I'd say I'm good. I mean, I, for folks who are listening to this, this was just a chance for all of us to get together, me, Eduardo, and Kenny, and just sort of chat about our thoughts in relationship to these giant events over there. Um, I don't, none of us pretend to be experts. None of us pretend that we're all like aware, like every little detail. But, um, you know, we hope that you would have a moment through this conversation, would be just be thinking, like, what do I think? What do I know? Um, we're not trying to push. I don't, I'm certainly not trying to push a particular point of view on this one. Um, other than I think the one that we all worry that the world is, I think the, the three of us do agree that the world seems to be getting closer and closer to a military conflagration that is, that is not going to go well. Um, that, but wow, who, what power is doing what? I don't think we know. We're just trying to make sense as best we can. Yeah. That's well said, Andy. Uh, Kenny, also appreciate you sharing with us your perspective on and why you wanted to do this as well. It seems like this whole conversation was inspired mostly by Kenny, and I appreciate that, Kenny, for giving us the opportunity to to give an update since we've last had the episode on this. Yeah. I mean, again, again, just like you, I thought this was going to be over very soon. <laughs> you know, here we are, and Things will continue to change, and we'll see what comes out of this. And I guess That's the one thing I would say that I guess just like you said, Lipson, I don't know. I don't know everything. We're you know trying to figure things out. But what the the one thing we know for a fact, I would dare to say, is that what the story we're being told officially is not it. Yeah. They, they lied to us about Russia Gate. They lied to us about COVID. They lied to us about Ukraine. They're lying to us about Israel. They're lying to us about everything. And so that's where we come from, right? And that's where we have these discussions. And we encourage people to have discussions and pursue their, their conspirational, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. because, you know, there is conspiracies against us all the time. And, mm -hmm. and we have to sort of try to stay alert to, because otherwise, you know, we're just complete pawns. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for this week's episode. <clears throat> Let's conclude. Um, what's left is a political uh, podcast has channel challenge and mentioned level post information about our topics and our guests on the episode. Not where we found this episode or on our blog at what's left podcast.com. Uh, you can find all of our episodes there. You can also find our bio. You can find things about us there. And if you wish to follow us, just go to what's left podcast. What's left podcast.com. You can find, um, uh, as there, connect with us. I remind you, if you find anything you have liked here, anything you've heard, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes, Podcast, Google, uh, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, Rumble, uh, YouTube, or Telegram. And uh, you can find our blog and in any of those links in the episode notes where we found this episode. If you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest, suggest something for us to cover, come to us to our blog. I'm Eduardo Alvarca with co-host Kenny and Andy and thank you all for checking in with us and we'll see you all next time. Ciao!